know that might have seemed a little awkward. We just played that video clip, and I asked Harv if he would do it right before service, if he could put that up there before I came up, because that's what I wanted to talk to you about this morning, is being overcomers. And what greater example, well, first of all, what greater example than Jesus Christ coming over, overcoming everything that he was up against to get on that cross and die for us. But there's another great man in the, in the Bible that we read about, a real man, a true man, a man's man. His name is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah overcame all the opposition that he was facing. He overcame everything so that he could do the work that God had called him to do. And in this life that we have, and we only get one, it's important that we overcome everything in order to do the work that God has called us to do. And I understand we have a lot of different responsibilities. We wear a lot of different hats in this world. And I know that we have a lot of things that we do when we go different places. And it seems like the further we slip into time, the more busy we get. And it seems like as technology gets more and more, it just means that they can just put more and more on our plate. But we have to, we have to, have to be able to overcome the things of this world in order to do what God has called us to do. And what I'm specifically talking about here is the enemy. And this is what Nehemiah did as a servant to God. And if you're familiar with the book of Nehemiah, uh, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're not, I encourage you to go back and I encourage you to go through the book of Nehemiah as we're going through the series and understand what type of service that Nehemiah gave to God and take an example from, for, from that. And, and, of course, listen, go back and listen to our audio messages from the last couple of weeks that we've already talked about and Brother Brian last week in chapter 3, and, and we'll, be, we'll be going through each chapter. But Nehemiah in chapter 4, Nehemiah had a lot of things here that he needed to overcome. He started to see some opposition and things that were up against him. Now, he had already seen those things, but nothing like now. It seems that the opposition was growing because where he is now, he's actually there to do the work and it seems like the enemy is trying to, to fight him even harder. So as he goes along, this, this battle gets tougher and tougher. From the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1 is where I'm going to start reading. Now I'll read through the entire text. I know I usually have a stand for the honor of the reading of God's Word, but it is very lengthy this morning, so you can remain seated and I'm just going to go through it from chapter 1 so we get a feel for the entire story. It says, It came about... When Sambala heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry, and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they receive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was near him, and he said... Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break it. He would break their stone wall down. This is what Nehemiah responds with in verse 4. Hear, O God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And when Sambala, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that the repair of the wall of Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed, they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. 
Yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to their work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the spaces behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the peoples uh, and the families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember that the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight your brothers, your sons, your daughters, uh, your wives, and your houses. And fight for your daughters and brothers, I should say. In verse 15, he goes on to say, When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his own work. From that day on, half of my servants uh, carried out the work while half of them held their spears, their shields, their bows, and the breastplates. And the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one, with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and God will fight for us. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from, from dawn until the stars appeared. And at that time I also said to the people, Let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by day and a laborer by, uh, by night and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us, was remo- none of us removed our clothes, each took his weapon, even to the water trough. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've given us this word to live by this morning and to know who you are, Father. Father, we're reading about a man, your chosen man, Nehemiah, who you sent to do a specific work. And Father, the great work that he has done inspires us, and it should inspire us, it should encourage us, Father. But what we ultimately want to look at this morning is look behind the man, strength that is you. To see, Father, the commands and the counsel that the man took on, and that came from you. Father, we thank you that you called Nehemiah to do this great work. We thank you that Nehemiah heeded the calling and he did what you asked him to do and commanded him to do. Thank you for the example you've given us today so that we can learn from to become that same person bold to do the work that you've called us to. And when we leave here today, Father, I pray that we're inspired in such a way that whatever it is that you have us do, whether it be within these walls or outside of these walls in this community, whether it be in our families, our jobs, our social life, whatever you call us to do, give us the boldness and the encouragement to do it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to start off saying I I didn't have a, a long introduction planned, and I still don't. But I, I do want to say this, that even in the, in the, in the Old Testament, the writer, of, the writer of Hebrews, or I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews, John had, had mentioned in his, in his book, the 10th chapter, the 10th verse, he says the, th- the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So I wanted to use that as my introduction to say this, 
that the enemy is out to destroy us. The enemy's out to steal our joy. He's out to steal our peace. He's out to steal our encouragement. He's out to steal everything that we have, anything that he can do to keep us from doing the work that God has called us to do. Now, we remember that that's, the, that's the, the kind of negative news there that we read about, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But the second part is so positive that Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it. That's talking about a spiritual life for all, for all of time, for all of eternity, that our life will be abundant not only on this earth, but more so in heaven if we, if we stand true and we're steadfast and immovable to the, do the things that God has called us to do. That is exactly what Nehemiah has done. And as we read on, I, w- I want to look at four things, four things this morning that we do in service that Nehemiah did in service, and I want to compare it to our lives today and encourage you that this man was up against a lot of opposition. And it's the same opposition that each one of us face on a daily basis today. We, we face all of these things, and when you hear these things and, and you look at them, you're going to say, yeah, I face that every day, whether it be in my job, whether it be in my social life, whether it be in my own family. People are out to destroy us. People are out to get us to stop doing the work of God. And the first thing is this. Here's the first point that I want to make. That that we need to serve God amidst ridicule. Now that word ridicule, each one of you can go right now and think about what happened yesterday or the day before and come up with plenty of examples of that you went through yourself. Can't you? Just think about your job on Friday before you left. All the negativity that may have gone on. Maybe even in your own family. People are out to ridicule us. The enemy is out to ridicule us. And that's what, that's what uh, Nehemiah was up here first and foremost in chapter 4. He was up against ridicule. Now, I, in, in each point that I have this morning, I have two sub-points, and that is what the opposers did and said and what the overcomers did and said. Now, we need to decide before we leave here today, am I opposed to do the work of God? Or am I an overcomer of what God has called me to do, an overcomer of all the opposition and everything that they try to do to destroy me? Those are the only two sub-points for each point that I have this morning. And it's very simple. And I want to look at this, and you see your notes there, and I did them a little different this week, and there's some space in there that you can make your own notes, and I encourage you to do that. I've included all the scripture reference that I have, and it's for a very important reason, reason. But I want to look at first what the opposer does with his ridicule towards the worker that God has called to do his work. The opposers, what do they say? What do they do? Well, let's look at verse 2. And keep your Bibles close because I want to go through these things, each one, verse by verse. Now, in verse 2, it says that Sambala, Sambala went back to his people, the enemy. He went back to his people. And in verse 2 it says, He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the, and the wealthy men of Samaria. And he said, he, he, he asks them some questions. Now, I want you to understand that through these questions, he was actually hurling criticism and ridicule and mockery at the Jews and at what Nehemiah was trying to accomplish or what that Nehemiah would accomplish. Now, how many of you have ever been asked a, a question that... You think back on and you said, man, were, were they being facetious with me just now? And they'll ask you a question as to make you feel stupid. Does that make sense? Well, here we see that Sambala asks his people several questions. I want to look at those questions, but I want you to realize that in these questions, there's a hint, there's a hint of, of being a smart aleck here. Let's just put it in layman's terms. He's just being a smart aleck towards the Jews. Now listen to these questions. 
I want to point them out. I want you to to listen to them closely. In verse 2, he says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Now, that's a simple question. Hey, what are you doing? And you walk into the room and you ask your spouse, hey, what are you doing? And and if, if, if you're like me, you might get an answer that you don't expect. I'm cooking dinner. What's it look like I'm doing? And you might get a smart aleck romance. But, but the, the question here was facetious. Listen to what he says. Listen to his language. These feeble Jews. So he's hurling an insult at them. He doesn't call them just Jews. He has to add an insult that they're feeble. That they're weak. They're not very smart. They're uneducated. And they can't do anything. What do they think they're doing? It's, it's kind of like... It's, it's kind of like, uh, what's his name, Dr. Phil on TV, when he asked it, what were you thinking? Y'all know that. That was my best Dr. Phil. I, I, don't, I don't do it very well. But, but he said, what do they think they're doing? They must have lost their mind to think that they could build that wall. That's what he was doing. He's hurling ridicule through the question. The next question is this. He says, are they going to restore it for themselves? You know what he's saying here? And in actuality, what he's saying is, is are they, are, are, what are they going to do about it? Can they really understand how to rebuild this wall? Do they know what they're up against? Can they really restore it themselves? They can't do this. That's why he called them feeble Jews in the first question. Can you imagine that day, and I, I talked about this not long ago, maybe two months ago, and we talked about David and Goliath and the five stones that he picked up out of that out of that riverbed. You remember that? And each stone had, a repre- it had represented something. But can you imagine the, the things, and we read what, what Goliath had said to David. He, he come up to you, so you send this small boy to me? Are you serious? Is this the best that the Jews have to send me this small boy? He's scrawny. He can't even wear armor because it doesn't fit his body because he's so tiny. Do you really send this man out here? to come up against me, a great warrior who was raised as a warrior from birth? Do you really send this guy out here? But David had the last laugh. As you can see, Nehemiah does the same thing. So he asked him that question. He asked him another question. As we move on in verse 2, he says, can they offer sacrifices? What, what he's saying here when he says, can they offer sacrifices? You see, it's going to take more than just prayer. It's going to take more than just meditation or singing a few songs to get them motivated to build this wall. And and Sambala knew that. But there's kind of a a double-edged sword here. He's trying to, he's taking a shot at the Jews to say, maybe you should offer sacrifices too because it's going to take a lot more than you think it's going to do, than, than it's going to take to rebuild this wall. So maybe you should offer sacrifices. What he's doing here as well is he's taking a shot at Jehovah. He's taking a shot at their God. Because what he's saying is, is that God is not going to, I don't even think God's going to bless your, your works and what you're doing here unless you offer sacrifices. So he was not only mocking the people, but he was mocking the God who had commanded them to do this. Now can you imagine how this made God feel? And now we'll see why, part of the reason why Nehemiah is so successful and the enemy diminishes and then he, then he goes on to say this other question. The next question in, in chapter 2, he says maybe they should offer sacrifices. Then he says, can they finish it in a day? What he's saying is, is you don't know what you're up against. It's going to take a lot longer than a day. And he's saying, 
do you really think that I can't assemble my men for war within a day? It's going to take you a lot longer to build that wall. We'll be up there at 6 a.m. in the morning, and we're going to start taking you out. They were threats. They were lies. Sambala wasn't going to do anything about it. He just wanted them to stop the work. And here's the thing. The enemy, there's nothing that he can do to you in this day and time that God can't help you overcome. So the enemy is full of a bunch of lies, full of a bunch of hot air. Well, if you do this, I'm going to oppose it this way. And this is what Sambala was saying. You can't finish it in a day. I can assemble my armies a lot quicker than you can finish that wall. And it were lies. Sambala couldn't do it. And I'm going to explain that to you at the, end of the, at the end of this message as to why he couldn't do it. Then he asked this last question. He says, can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now, this is where Sambala was off a little bit. Sambala didn't have all of his information correct, or he was trying to make things up because that's what the enemy will do. He says, can they revive these burned stones? Now, a lot of times, they use limestone in these walls that they built. And limestone, under heat or under fire, will become very brittle and it will weaken a lot. Even any stone that's, that's brought under intense heat will get brittle and they'll, they'll essentially be unusable. When a brick home catches on fire, the brick is destroyed because it becomes weak. It, it can't withstand anything. So he's saying they're, they're going to they're gonna take these, these rocks and these stones that, that were torn down and they're going to reuse them. They're not going to be any good. Well, here's the thing. The Bible says back in, in, chapter, uh, in chapter 2, verse 13, that the gates were burned with fire and that the walls were torn down. So the walls did not come under that heat. And you say, why are you telling me this is, this is trivial? Because Sambala didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know what he was saying. He wasn't thinking about what was going through his mind. And what I'm here to tell you is that the enemy doesn't always think. That's why criminals get caught. Because they never think it all the way through. Because there's no perfect crime. You can't hide from God. So he asked this question, and he doesn't even know what he's doing. So that's another thing that should encourage us, is that the enemy doesn't really know what he's doing in the first place. Now let me move on. That was what the opposers, what do they say? Let's look at what the overcomers do. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36, listen to what the writer writes. He says that some have experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. What, the reason I brought this up, the writer is saying that there have been great men and women of God that have gone on and they've had what? They've experienced mocking. They've experienced ridicule. But what do they do to overcome it? What do we do to overcome it? And let's look at that. We turn our focus towards Jesus. That's what we do. Now, I'm going to prove it to you. Look what it says in verse 4 of our text. Listen, listen to what, listen to what um, uh, Nehemiah responds with all this negative ridicule and all this criticism, what does he do? Hear, O oh God, how we are despised. The first thing he does is turn his focus to God. He doesn't, he doesn't get worried about the stones being torn down. He doesn't worry about the gates being burned. He doesn't worry about the people that are doing the work. He's not worried about where his next meal is going to come from. He doesn't worry about any of that. He's not affected by the ridicule one bit, but he turns to God and says, Hear my cry. Because that's where we need to be focused in the first place. So his focus, what does an overcomer do? They turn their focus towards Jesus immediately. And that's, what, that's, that's exactly what Nehemiah did. 
So what better example to live by than to look at Nehemiah and how he overcame this? He overcame it with the Word of God. He overcame it with the strength of God. He overcame it by being obedient to what God had called him to do. So we turn our focus to Jesus. We, we pray first and foremost. We pray and then we have, there's another step. You just can't pray and say, okay, God, I've done that. Go ahead and fix the wall. No, we have to work at it. We have to go to work. We do have a responsibility. I was speaking with someone in my office this morning, and I was telling them, and, and I was saying, you know, I've, I've watched you over the past few years, and I've watched you mature in Christ, and I've seen you overcome so many things that the enemy has, has, has hurled at you. And one thing that you did, you took care of your responsibility. It wasn't just enough to pray that God would release him from all these things and all these uh, uh, negative things that were weighing him down in his life, but he actually worked at it. He actually put in the time to overcome those things. So prayer... It's not good enough unless you're going to do the work. Because James tells us that faith without works is dead. Now I want to look at the second thing. Now I know you're saying, man, it's three minutes till and he's only going through one point. But the rest of these will go quick, I promise you. The first one really sets up the rest. The second one is this, is that we have to serve God amidst intimidation. How many of you have ever been in... All of us. I raise both my hands. I'd throw my feet up there if I could, but I'll fall down. Listen, we've all been intimidated. People will use intimidation tactics against us. So what are the opposers? What do they do with, with, with intimidation? They get angry. Look what it says in verse 7. When this didn't work, look what he says in verse 7. When Sambala, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites heard that the repairs of the walls of Jerusalem went on, Nehemiah says, I don't want to listen to your ridicule. I don't want to listen to your criticism. God has called me to do a great work here. So what does it say he did in verse 7? It says, when he saw that the repairs of the walls went on and the breaches began to get closed, they became very angry. And that's what the enemy will do. They become angry. When the enemy gets angry at you, that's not a sign that you should be intimidated. It's a sign that I'm winning. Somebody say amen to that. Y'all give me a little encouragement up here. Let's, he said, you're not going to intimidate me with your words because you're the one getting angry here. You always notice the guy that's winning the argument is the one that stays calm. And the guy that's getting angry, he just loses his ammunition. He, he goes from having a, having a machine gun to having a pea shooter with no peas. Now, now, now let's, let's move on here. So they get angry. They plot and they scheme. Look what it says in verse 8. In verse 8, it says, All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. How many times have people tried to cause a disturbance in your life? How many times has the enemy tried to get you to quit doing what you were doing? How many times has God called you to do something in your community or in your church or in your family or at your job or in your social life and you didn't heed the calling because you didn't think it was worth it because you felt intimidated by the work? Not Nehemiah. Nehemiah pressed forward. He pressed forward. So they scheme and they plot against you. Then they try to use force because in verse 8 it also says that they will come and fight against Jerusalem. So they're going to force their way in. We're going to be a bully. I can't get my way through criticism and ridicule so I'll become a bully. That's what he was saying. So what does the overcomer do? That's what the opposers say. What does the overcomer, what do we say and do? Well, verse 9 tells us, it tells us very clearly, listen to what Nehemiah did. But he prayed to our God, and because of them we set up a guard against them day and night. Immediately he turns his attention to God again and he begins to pray. Folks, that's the true overcomer. 
You want to overcome the opposition and the enemy, you begin to pray. You turn your focus on, on God. We even sing a hymn about it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. We have to turn to Jesus. So we pray, we stand fast, we stand our ground, we set up guard. That's what he did in verse 9. It says he set up guard. He started to disperse the people and saying, listen, it's time to protect ourselves. Nehemiah told the people, we're going to stand strong, we're not going to move. We're going to do the work regardless of what the enemy hurls at us. Right now all they were hurling was words and lies and speculation. That's all they were doing. There were, no, there were no swords being hurled. There was no arrows being shot. There were no spears being thrown. None of that was going on. It were just words. And Nehemiah wasn't going to be attempt, intimidated by it. So, so not only do we do that, but, but through the intimidation, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, before I move on, says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, the steadfast, the immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is in vain in the Lord. And, and Paul was trying to encourage the Corinthians to say, stand firm, stand your ground as Christians, don't let sin overcome you, don't let the enemy overcome you, is what he was saying. In James chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. So blessed are we who persevere, who overcome the enemy that's trying to destroy our work and our service to God by serving others. And then you have to work at it. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Because I'm telling you, if you do your work for men, they will scare you, intimidate you, criticize you, and knock you off, and knock you out of the, of the, of, of, of the road that you're going on with God. They'll knock you out every time if you do it for God. I mean, if you do it for men. But if you do it for God and you do it heartily, as if you're doing this for God, God will protect you. The third thing is this, is that we serve God amidst discouragement. How many of you have been discouraged? I've been discouraged in the last 12 hours. How about y'all? You know how you get discouraged in this life? I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. How do you get discouraged in this life? Just wake up. Just wake up, walk outside, and go about your day. Somebody's out there is going to discourage you. I can get an amen on that one too. I know it's negative, but you know what I'm talking about. All you've got to do is get up and face the world. If you don't want to be discouraged, just stay in bed all day. Just stay in bed all day. That's the only way to avoid discouragement. People are going to discourage us. We get discouraged when we get on the highway. We get discouraged when we get to work and all the bagels in the break room are gone because we were late. And I know that sounds silly, but you know what I'm talking about. If something as simple as that is going to discourage us, and listen, I've been discouraged, and you all know that I've had discouraging moments as pastor of this church. I'm not going to pull any punches. You know that. But we cannot let it destroy us. We have to overcome it. We have to overcome it. So, so we've got to overcome. What do the opposers do? What do they say and do? Well, opposers like to use discouragement. Discouragement destroys us from within. Okay, it, The words hit us. They enter our mind. We let them affect us. And what does it do? It destroys us from the inside out. Now, you might say, well, what if somebody comes hitting me upside the head with a baseball bat? That, that's not discouragement. That's force. Discouragement is meant to discourage the person doing the work from the inside out. He's trying to destroy our mind, destroy our vision, destroy what God has called us to do, and make our heart break. And then what will we do? We'll back off of the work. So discouragement destroys us from the inside out. So they use discouragement. The response of the people, look what it says in verse 10. 
In verse 10 it says this, And likewise, I, my brothers and my servants, I'm reading the wrong text, I apologize, I was in first chapter 5. He says, Thus in Judah it was said, The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. And, and what I want to point out here is that, that this is what was said. It was said. Didn't mean it happened. It's just the rumor that's going around. The rumor is, is that we're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're not able enough. We don't have enough resources. We're just the scum of the earth. Now remember, who were the Jews that were left behind in captivity? They were the weak, and they were the uneducated, and they were the poor. You see, Babylon took them all, all the good ones. They took the rich and the strong, the warriors, the ones that were well-educated, and they left the ones that were weak and uneducated and poor behind. So they, they're already in the hole. They're already in the hole. But it was said, they were letting words destroy them. It was said that we're being discouraged. doesn't say it really happened, it just said it was said. So I chalk it up as to being a rumor. Nothing more than a rumor. But it destroyed them, and it started to destroy them from within. Now this was all before Nehemiah had hit there. You see, the enemy was constantly discouraging them to keep them from building the wall. It took God calling Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem to help the people build the wall. Because they had believed all of these lies. And they were lies. And they were being discouraged. What does the overcomer do? Look what it says in verse 9. In verse 9, after they said all this, uh, they, they pray. Again, they pray. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong text. What, what does the overcomer do? What do we do? We, we refocus on the things of God. That's what we have to We have to refocus ourselves. Proverbs 29, 18, you might, be, you might say, this is a little strange, uh, but I, let me explain. Where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. The King James Version says... Uh, he who has no vision, the people perish where there is no vision. Perish or unrestrained, that Hebrew word is the same. It means they become, because they become absent-minded. What happens when you become absent-minded to the things of God? Sin creeps in. What does it do? It destroys us. When we're destroyed, what are we doing? We're perishing. Spiritually perishing. So when the King James Version writes the word perish, what they mean is you're dying a spiritual death. Not a physical death, but a spiritual death. And that perishing is what keeps you from doing God's work because we have nothing to focus on anymore because we've lost our vision for God. And that's what that, that's what that verse means. Now you know why. It seemed a little strange for me to put that up there at this point in the sermon. But now you understand that if there's no vision, now what we have to do as overcomers is keep that vision. In other words, God, what, remind me again what it was you wanted me to do. Write down notes. I write down notes all the time. God wants me to do this or say this. Sometimes I just don't write down enough notes, and I'm like, what was I thinking when I wrote this? I have no idea what I'm talking about. Was it a grocery list or was it a sermon title? I, I can't remember. But, but you, have to, you cannot lose that vision on what God has told you to do. You cannot lose that focus. Overcomers keep their focus, they keep their vision, and thus they avoid perishing spiritually. Because once you do that, you're not going to be any good for God. It's plain and simple. So we have to overcome it. When our hope and faith is gone, then our vision is stripped of us. When our vision is gone, we will perish. Ask yourself this. Where are you going with God? I want everyone to ask yourselves, write this, as an individual, set apart from your spouse, your girlfriend, your neighbor, your cousin, your uncle, your aunt, your neighbor, whoever's sitting by you, if it's a stranger, 
Forget about them for just a moment. Husbands, keep thinking about your wife because that can get you in trouble later. But think about you as an individual. Where are you going with God? And ask yourself that. Then I want you to ask this question. Where am I going with my church? Where is our church going? And I want you to, I want you to, to think about this. If you don't like the answer to those questions, then do something about it. If you don't like the answer to those questions, do something about it, but do what God is telling you. Don't just say, okay, I'm going to do something about it, and I'm going to oppose everything that we do in the church or we do in the community. What I'm saying is, is get along with God and find out what it is that He wants you to do, and then do something about it. The fourth point is this, and, and musicians, you can come forward. The fourth point is this, serving God amidst fear. Now, the New Testament calls fear a spirit, and it is of some sorts. But what do the opposers do with fear? What do they do? They use fear tactics. Anybody ever had a boss that used fear tactics? They were always intimidating you, threatening you, and they use fear tactics to get you motivated? But you know, when, when an encouraging word comes from your boss or somebody, you can get so much more done, you can be so much more productive with nice words and words of encouragement, words of teaching. Hey, you might not know how to do this, let me explain it to you, instead of just... What are you, a knucklehead? You need, to, you need to understand this. You need to get on board or you're going to be out of here. And scare tactics never work. Fear tactics never work. It's been proven. They never work. When ridicule, intimidation, and discouragement don't work, then the enemy turns to fear tactics. When everything that we've already talked about doesn't work, the enemy is going to try to scare you to death. That's what they're going to do. Verse 11. Look what it says in verse 11. It said... They said, they said, let's look at it together. Verse 11, it says, Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them. Kill them and put a stop to the work. That was something somebody else said. Again, we're back to rumors. They're trying to use rumors to scare them. And that's what the enemy tries to do to us. We can't let it happen. They were spreading, uh, spreading fear by suggestions and rumors. There was nothing credible about what they were saying. And yet they were letting it destroy them. Not Nehemiah. He was there to do the work and encourage the people. The overcomers, what do we do? What do we do? We have to recognize the problem. Where's the problem? Am I being ridiculed? Am I being intimidated? Are they using fear tactics? What is the problem? Why aren't I moving forward with God? Why isn't my church moving forward with God? Ask yourself the question, are you holding the church coming uh, from, from moving forward with God? But that's a pretty sobering question, Pastor. Why would you ask me that? Because if you're hindering the movement of the church, you're in a very, very dangerous position. And if you're, and, and if you're hindering your own walk with God, you're in an even worse position. So you have to ask yourself those questions. So we recognize the problem. Look what he says in verse 14. I promise you I'm going to be done in a minute. I know y'all are hungry. I'm about to starve. In verse 14, listen to what he says. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles of the officials and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember who the Lord is and his great and awesome fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So what did he do? What, what did the overcomer do? He encouraged the leaders. He got them together and says, let's quit listening to all these, these lies. Let's quit listen to the opposition. Let's move forward. He recognized the problem. And then he went and he prayed about it. Listen, I don't think, with Nehemiah's track record, Nehemiah always prayed. 
I mean, Brian, in the last couple of weeks we've been preaching on this, how many times have we noticed that Nehemiah has prayed? He stopped and prayed constantly. So Nehemiah's track record was flawless when it came to praying. So I don't believe that he just went to these leaders haphazardly. I believe that he prayed about it and he sought God's counsel and said, what do I do about this? Because we see his track record is flawless. So he prays about it. He turns his focus towards, towards, towards God. <laughs> he seeks God's counsel. And he says, let's be encouraged. He encouraged them. He actually did something about it. In verse 16, we see what he starts to do. He starts to place people in strategic places throughout the wall to get the work done. He put certain... Now, now listen. These Jews, they weren't warriors. They weren't trained to fight. But because of the encouragement from their leader, they decided to go for it. Some of them, probably most of them, have never swung a sword in their life. But they put one on their side. It says even when they went to drink water, they took their sword so they could be on guard at all times. That's what an overcomer does. They're on guard at all times, even when they take a break. Somebody once told me, you know, in the ministry, there are vacations, there are no breaks. Now, we do get breaks and we do get vacations. But the work is never done. Because phone calls come in, people need prayer. Not only that, we need to witness to people no matter where we are. So, he encourages those people. He stationed them strategically. In Nehemiah 3.28 it says that he, above the horse gate, the priests carried out repa repairs each in front of his own house. You know why he did that? And he placed a lot of people in front of their own homes. A lot of homes were built into the wall. The wall was one of their walls in their homes. That's how they did it sometimes. But everybody where they lived, they, you know why he did that? If you were to rebuild your wall three miles down the road, well, I'll just rebuild it and get this over with. But if you rebuild the wall in front of your house... What are you going to do? Man, it's going to be strong. Man, I'm not going to cut any corners. Nehemiah knew this. Nehemiah was smart. So he placed them strategically. What he did is we sought God's counsel, and he says we need to do something about it. We need to, we need to put the work into process. We need to, this is where the rubber meets the road. I'm being ridiculed. My people are being ridiculed. So what we're going to do is we're going to seek God's counsel, and we're going to do the work. And we're going to do it according to what God's plan is. There's no doubt in my mind that God had instructed him to do all of this and, and put people out there nighting, night and day guarding. Now, there's one more reason why Nehemiah did this. And I want you to listen closely. Because this is going to wrap it all up. And when God showed me this, I just couldn't... I couldn't hardly contain myself because these are some of the things that I don't do. And I'm, I'm confessing this as your pastor. These are some things that I don't do. I don't always let the enemy see how ticked off I am. I don't always let the enemy know that I mean business. I don't always let the enemy know that I'm going to be bold in the face of opposition. I fail at that. I fail at it miserably. Nehemiah wanted the enemy to see them with swords on their side, with hammers in their hands, so that he could take that intimidation and turn it right back on them. Because when they came to attack the walls with their empty words and their suggestions and their rumors, the Jews got the last laugh because they actually saw people united together, willing to do whatever it took to get the wall rebuilt because God said so. And you remember two weeks ago when I preached on chapter 2, what was the title? 
Because God. Because God is the reason why Nehemiah and the people were able to do all of this. And, and Nehemiah wanted the enemy to see and to be bold in their face. And church, I don't always do that. And I pray for God's forgiveness for that. Because I don't set a very good example in that. But I want to throw you this, this last remark out here, and this is my conclusion. Have you noticed in your notes where it says the opposition? What do they do? What do they say? You notice there's no scripture listed there because I couldn't find any. But you notice under each heading where it says the overcomers, I have scripture there. And God, God threw this on me right before I came out here to preach. You know why there's no scripture under the, op the opposers? Because they don't do anything according to God's word. The enemy does nothing according to God's word, so there's no scripture to support them. But under the, under the overcomers, there's Scripture to support what the Christian needs to do to overcome the opposition. And when God showed me that, I thought, wow. Wow. Because I was struggling trying to find Scripture. I couldn't find any. But when it came to the overcomers, I had so much, I left a lot of it out. They were already lengthy, quarter after, and we're hungry. But I pray that your hunger is for spiritual food and to do what God has called us to do rather than food. I, I, want, I want my deacons. We're not going to sing a song today. Mine. Have my deacons stand up. Not my deacons, God's deacons, your servants. Remember? Stand up, brother. Melvin, Freddie, Ed, stand tall, brother. You're already up there. I, I want to ask you guys a question. Brian, come down here with me. I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to do personally what God wants you to do? And I want you to answer that question, and I hope it's a positive answer. You've got some leaders in this church that we're doing the best we can to lead this church in the right direction. Our desire is to see these, these pews filled, even on Sundays when we do have a lot of people out traveling. And I know this man's heart, and he loves God so much, and he is working diligently to get this church not on the map for us, but on the map for the community so they know where to turn. And these men that you see here before you are doing the same thing. And I want to ask you, do you support these men? Do you support these men? Do you support your pastors in overcoming the enemy together? And I want to ask you one last question. I want to show by you standing and saying, yes, do you support God in doing what he's called you to do as an individual in this church? If your answer is yes, I'm truly committed, would you stand with these men and these leaders? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity every time I get to bring your word. Father, I thank you for what you've shown me today through this message. If anybody needed it in this room more, it was me. And I thank you for showing it to me, Father. I thank you, Father, that you've allotted me the time to speak your word. And I only pray that what we've talked about has sunk into the hearts and the minds of your people, not my people. Your deacons, not mine. Your leaders, your pastors. And I pray, Father, I pray for Brian as a pastor of this church. I pray for Debbie 
as a minister of music here, for Tricia, our children's minister, for Harv and Janine as our student pastors, for Ed, our chairman of the deacons, for the deacons, and for every person assembled here today, that you be our strength that overcomes the enemy, that you help us recognize the problems and the issues, and then encourage us to do the right work to get it right with you. And let us move forward in this community where we should be in the first place. And as you do that, Father, we're going to praise you for who you are. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Are all hearts and minds clear? I want you to turn to somebody, and I just want you to greet them on the way out. And encourage them to stay and have a little food. Please, don't leave this world without Jesus.